where are we going to eat tonight? What happened to my keys? When will you be ready? Haven't you already tried five outfits on? Does that sound like this morning for you? Stop hitting your sister. Get the dog off the kitchen counter. Who broke the lamp? Does anyone know where the remote control is? Why wasn't the water bill paid last month? The gaslight is on again. And the engine isn't even starting this time. What are we going to do now? Our lives are filled with questions. And oftentimes, irritating frustrations like these, aren't they? We can be out with our friends or working our nine to five, and people can look at our lives, and they might see lives that are rather put together. But if anyone were to sit in our living room for just 24 hours, they may see quite another story. Now, of course, every household's different. Some households have unique challenges that make them more difficult and more unclear of how to walk through them. I think, for example, a Christian woman married to a non-Christian man. This man just simply doesn't want to lead their family in a way that honors the Lord. It makes it really hard for the wife to follow his leadership. Or there's the mom and dad with multiple children from previous marriages. Uh, Trying to raise kids is one thing, but trying to raise basically two families now into one is quite another task. And then there's the widow, just trying to figure out what her new normal is going to look like, trying to manage a household for the first time alone without a husband to help her. Or maybe a young man who just got married, trying to figure out how to treat his wife as his wife and not treat her merely like a younger version of his mother. Beloved, we shouldn't be in denial. Of all people, Christians should be the most honest of people around. So let's just get it out on the table tonight. Relationships in our homes can be undoubtedly messy and unusually complex. When sinners come together under one roof, it's inevitable that friction will happen. Conflict arises. People don't always get along. People tend to blame shift. In fact, everybody wants to lead until the pressure and criticism comes towards them. And if you are leading your home, if that's you tonight, all sorts of deadlines you already know are upon you. They're pressing in on you. Decisions have to be made. But you see, at the end of the day, whether you're in a big family or a small one, or you're simply learning how to live with a new roommate for the first time, When strong opinions and opposite personality types collide, when foolishness abounds and love is absence, sparks will fly. But friends, the same could be said of our lives together in the local church. Churches are full of people with questions and complaints, fears and anxieties, criticisms opinions and advice, and all sorts of goals for what they think the church should have. 
just like moms and dads and siblings of all ages. Just because folks look put together as they darken the doors on a Sunday morning doesn't mean what's going on in the church Monday through Saturday is always peaceful or orderly. Just like your home and your family, churches need leadership. And because the church is ultimately Christ's church, churches need godly leadership. The type of leadership we've been studying together in previous talks on this topic of elders on Sunday nights. In places in scripture we've looked at together, like 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. And just like a family, churches need leaders who can give Christians direction, a future, a path to follow Jesus on. Churches need leaders who can think carefully about the gospel. They think carefully about sound doctrine. They think carefully about conversion. They think carefully about church membership and church discipline. And they think carefully about the impact certain decisions will have for the good or for the ill in the life of a congregation. Bottom line, churches need wisdom from wise leaders. Churches need wisdom from wise leaders so that that church can make decisions in the life of its ministry that truly honors the Lord. But friends, churches also need church members who are discerning of who they recognize as their leaders, who they will look up to as examples to follow, who they will joyfully, happily, patiently, eagerly desire to sit under their teaching. And in the same way, pastors or church elders long to have church members under their care who are a joy and pleasure to lead and not a constant thorn, not a constant pain, a constant burden in their side. That's why we've been studying in recent months on Sunday nights on the topic of elders. Who is qualified to serve in this biblical office and what is an elder called to do? Now, if you've missed those previous two talks, you can find them on the church podcast. If you don't know how to find that, you can speak with Drew or me or others who are uh, more technologically savvy. But to summarize what we've discerned or discovered together in those two talks so far of what elders do and who elders are, here's just a basic summary statement. Church elders are spiritually mature men who love Jesus Christ, that desire to shepherd his sheep and do so patiently and courageously as they lead them to obey Jesus in accordance with the scriptures. And the reality is that just like families... Churches have to make all sorts of decisions, and that means both wisdom and love is needed for a church to do that in a way that gives God glory. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised. When we look in the New Testament, churches are described like families. Haven't we learned that a little bit in the last few sermons? Have you ever noticed how Paul talks of Timothy in the New Testament? My child in the faith. 
or the apostles say, my brothers or my brethren or my brothers and sisters? Or the scriptures speak about the church as the household of faith or a spiritual family? You see, that's why the church of all places should be one of the safest places for us, where love and wisdom are the norm. It's the Kool-Aid we drink because that means Christ is what's most important to us. Well, tonight we're going to include our last teaching on this series on elders with this topic, church elders and church members serving together with wisdom and love. We've been focusing a lot on who is qualified to serve as an elder and what an elder does, but tonight, tonight's a little different. It's going to be a charge to the church members of how you should treat and care for and follow your leaders, but also how to show discernment of who you should not nominate as a leader. So it's really tonight, the first two have been really a lot on my shoulders and the men that the Lord may raise up and what you should be looking for and praying for. But tonight, the mantle gets put on the church members about your relationship with your future elders. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you're using the chair Bibles provided, you can find that on page 577. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Tonight we're going to look at primarily verses 17 to 25. We're going to spend the bulk of that time on verses 17 and 18 because a natural outflow will turn into 19 to 25. If I were to preach through this in a 1 Timothy series, I would take a lot longer on it. But I hope tonight would at least whet your appetite as we begin to dive deeper on this topic. 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 17. This is God's word. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not omit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. In our previous two talks, we've looked at the biblical qualifications of an elder, what the man must be and what the man must do. The man must be a godly example for other believers to imitate. He must have a godly desire for this noble task. He should not serve if he's doing so out of compulsion. He's doing it because he's made to do it, or he simply just wants to keep people happy and just to fill a void. No, he has an eager desire for it. He has an appetite 
to love God's word and love the gospel and love the sheep for whom Christ died. And also he must understand what he's called to do. And pretty simply, we've looked at this. An elder is called to lead and protect Christ's sheep, and he is called to teach and correct Christ's sheep with sound doctrine from the Scriptures. Tonight I have three points, and these three points will be communicated again as a charge, as an exhortation to each of the members of CCBC as we consider moving our church towards installing a plurality of elders, Lord willing, later this year. The first point will take longer. The last two are much shorter. Number one, show generous appreciation to your elders for the work they do. Number two, protect your elders from unjust and unfounded criticism. And number three, protect your church from unqualified and ungodly leaders. Number one, show generous appreciation to your elders for the work that they do. Look again in verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Uh, Here in verse 17, Paul echoes again what the function of the biblical office of an elder entails. Did you notice there in your, your, your text, verse 17? Uh, They are to rule. They are to preside over Christ's sheep. Uh, The emphasis here is leading in the form of management over the overall affairs and the life of the church. In fact, look back with me in 1 Timothy 3, just two chapters previous. 1 Timothy 3. I want you to look at verses 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 3, we looked at last time, are the qualifications for an elder, what he must be. Notice what one of the qualifications are. 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. He's going to use the same word here in the Greek to explain what he means by rule here. He says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, he must manage or rule his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage or rule his own household How will he care for God's church? So you can go back to chapter 5. The basic spiritual jurisdiction that God calls elders to give attention to is overseeing. That's really the heartbeat of what a pastor's doing. Like a lifeguard up in his post, he's watching over the beach. Or maybe like a prison guard up in the tower looking over the entire Uh, property. Again, I hope a church never feels like a prison, but the idea is overseeing. It's watching over the affairs of the church. And this really touches everything, the spiritual life, the finances, basically anything and everything that touches the life of that congregation. Now, don't get me wrong. Elders can and should delegate certain responsibilities to gifted and godly men and women in order to serve that church well. We'll talk about deacons, Lord willing, this fall, so be patient on that. But remember, again, what an elder is called to do. An elder is not called to do all the ministry in the church. If the elders are doing all the ministry in the church, that church is super unhealthy, or those elders have an egotistical mindset. Remember what elders are supposed to do? Ephesians 4, 11, and 12? 
elders or pastors are called to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Again, elders can't do everything. They can't be everywhere. They're not good at everything. They're not the wisest in every perceivable way. But at the end of the day, God has entrusted leadership to his church. Someone has to steer the wheel. What happens when you got four people trying to fight over the wheel in your car and three backseat drivers adding on to it? Well, it's a migraine. <laughs> it's difficult. Eventually, you might even get in a wreck. Again, elders are called to give direction, to equip, and to delegate certain tasks to see that the ministry needs are met. But again, I just want to be very frank with you because you've been here sitting under my teaching now for well, almost a year. If you count the previous ministry, over a year. I want you to notice that it doesn't say the deacons. It does not say let the deacons rule well. It doesn't say that. The deacons never rule squat in the New Testament. They wait on tables. They care for widows. They meet practical, urgent needs in the life of the body under the authority of the elders. Never does it ever use the word proistime, manage, rule in the New Testament, ever. I'm not sure where Baptists got off on that, but that's a whole new category that people have introduced in the Bible. It's just not from God. It's the elders who rule, not the deacons, not the chairman of the deacons, if there was an office of such a thing. Again, it's not even a random committee made up of members of a mixed bowl of spiritual maturity. It's not a local Baptist association or denomination entity that Paul is talking to here. It's the men who he calls right there, presbyteros. Let the elders who manage, who rule over that particular church. But then Paul goes on another step to expand on the office of the elder, in particular those who are especially gifted at the ministry of the word. He says in verse 17, did you notice? Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Some church traditions like to divide up the elder office into two offices, ruling elders and teaching elders. I understand what they mean by that. I love those brothers. I think I disagree with that. I don't think the New Testament is that clear and that clean. I think all elders are called to teach. They must be able to teach, 1 Timothy 3.2. And all elders will rule or watch over a flock. I don't think that classification is as clean as some denominations would have it. However, in most situations, a church will give financial compensation to the man or group of men that are especially good at preaching and teaching. And that's really what Paul's aiming at here in 1 Timothy 5. You see that even more clearly in verse 18. He grounds his argument for financial compensation for elders who are really good at preaching and teaching all the way back from Moses and the words of Jesus. Notice what he says. He quotes from Deuteronomy and the Gospel of Luke. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. That means that a local church should do its best to generously care for the elders who are especially good at preaching and teaching. Well, it's kind of subjective, right? Well, who's actually good at it? I mean, is there like some kind of top 25 uh, best hitters of the day, you know, 
How do you assess who's really good at preaching and teaching? I think it's self-evident. You know a good piece of cake when you taste it. God's people knows, knows good preaching when they hear it. Sometimes sheep don't even know good preaching until they hear it because they've been feeding on cotton candy for so long, they finally get a sirloin and go, oh my goodness, what happened to my taste buds? Well, nothing really changed. It's just you got better food. Well, friends, that's, that's really what Paul's getting at. God has gifted and set apart some that are really good at this. They're really good at this hard work. That's what the word labor there means. I bet the women's Bible study has eaten this one alive at some point or another. To labor means to toil to the point of exhaustion. It's hard work. If a man is going to give himself to this task and he's good at it, it's going to be a hard work. And Paul says, listen, those who are giving themselves most to this hard work, those who are especially good at this hard work, should be taken care of by Christ's flock. Now, ordinarily, at CCBC, according to our bylaws, this will typically be the lead pastor and then any future associate pastors. But again, basically what Paul is saying, he's telling the church this, put your money where your heart is. You esteem the word, you treasure the word, you know good preaching of the word, then show it. Take care of the servants, the shepherds that are feeding you Christ's food. Now, certainly every local church, because of its size, because of its budget, uh, because of the man's giftedness, his family needs, uh, the tenure that he has shepherded that church, all those things should be considered carefully, but they should always be considered generously. Uh, there is a terrible, terrible, terrible mentality that some search committees, not the search committee that found me, but some that I have encountered and read about, that will have this attitude about their future pastor. We'll keep him cheap, and God will keep him humble. We're going to pay for the most bare minimum thing to squeeze it out, and then God will keep him humble. Well, it's wonderful to be someone who's frugal. It's wonderful to be someone who wants to use God's money wisely. But friends, again, what you're seeing here, the elders who rule well should be considered double honor. It means both esteem and respect, but also financially cared for. Now, not all elders will be set apart vocationally. Some elders will give a portion of their time to shepherding Christ's flock, but not fully set apart to do so. Some elders are going to have full-time jobs. Some elders are going to be what you call lay elders, according to our bylaws. Some are what you call like staff elders, and some are lay elders. That means they give of their time as members to serve as an elder. But there's only so many hours in a week. And especially if they have a family, they're going to have other things they have to tend to. So generally speaking, you might have a body of elders. A few are paid, and the majority are not. They all hold the office. But the ones who are paid are generally, generally, the best at what they do. That's why you're paying them, because they're good at preaching and teaching. I also want you to notice, it's interesting that Paul uses the term elder in the plural. I don't know if you noticed that. He didn't say let the elder, but the elders rule well. I think there's something there to that. Because in the New Testament, the bulk of the times the word presbyteros is used, it's always in the plural. It's rarely, if ever, in the singular. 
in most ways, we see in the New Testament, I've had some debates with friendly pastors that I love and esteem. They don't think that the Bible teaches that a local congregation should have a plurality of elders. They think a a church should just have kind of one single guy and a board of deacons sort of deal. And I just point them to a few passages. You can look at them on the screen. Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular, as I directed you. Acts 14.23, and when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts 20, verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to come to him. James 5, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, friends, this is not really to fight or to argue with people. This is not just like, you know, proof text wars. I'm going to ping pong back and forth, which polity is better. I think we need to get more practical. And this is really what I want you to feel and sit on and chew on tonight. Why should a church pray for and desire to have a plurality of elders? I'm going to give you four reasons. Number one, a plurality of elders increases wisdom in the leadership of that church. Listen, if you like the book of Proverbs, I mean, t- take your proverb a day, you get through all 31, just start it all over again. You know these. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I mean, the proverbial math is pretty simple, right? Sanctified common sense. The more godly men you have with God-given wisdom generally means the level of wisdom and understanding in that church will increase in its leadership. Like leading your own family, moms and dads need wisdom, right? Life isn't always easy, yes or no. Sometimes it's gray. Well, a local church made up of 90 members, 300 members, or 1,000 members are going to have so many different situations that one guy can't handle by himself. Right now, I'm feeling the tsunami coming at me with 92 members. Not because you're a burden or a thorn, but because doing gospel work God's way is hard work. And it's way too big for one guy to do in a way that can honor the Lord over the long haul. So generally speaking, the more elders, truly, not men just fitting a seat at the table, but truly qualified as an elder, the more wisdom that church will have leading the ship. Number two, a plurality of elders provides a healthy balance to the strengths and weaknesses of the lead pastor. Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, this week, I called up Stan and just kind of catching up on life. And we got talking about sports and, and baseball and I just took a, a, a chance. I said, Stan, 
Like, who's your favorite? Who's your, what you got? And like, I haven't watched baseball in like 30 years. I mean, I would have been like five, but maybe 25. And he said the Atlanta Braves. And I'm like, that's all I got. That's all I remember. Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, raring it back. Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, all of them. Well, I started reminding myself as a kid, why were the Braves so good? Well, it's partly because their bullpen was stacked. They had pitchers that could throw fastballs, curveballs, and close the game. It was the diversity of the strengths that made them a world champion baseball team. And, And friends, the same will be true of an elder board. We can't artificially create that. God has to give gifts to his church. He has to gift churches with godly, qualified, and gifted pastors. So that's why I want it to be a regular diet in our vocabulary to pray for God to show us those gifts, whether they're raised up from the inside or God brings them from the outside. Number three, a plurality of elders provides encouragement for the lead pastor and helps prevent him from burning out. Uh, Hold your place in 1 Timothy. Turn over to Exodus 18. Exodus 18, if you're not familiar with your Bible, it's the second book of the Bible, so go all the way back to the left. Exodus chapter 18. Do you remember the story of Moses? And his Beverly Hillbilly uncle, Jethro, I'm sorry, not uncle, father-in-law. So all your father-in-laws in here, this is like your one proof text to grab your son-in-law by their shirt and go, hey, hey, you need to listen to your father-in-law. See, we're about to read about Jethro. Okay? In Exodus 18, the population of the Israelites was staggering in numbers. And for a time, Moses was basically the only lifeguard at watch. He's the only guy at the desk. He's the only, quote, pastor that's shepherding all these people. Listen to this very insightful story, starting in verse 13. Exodus 18, starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? That's a key word there. Under face circle. Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Listen to Moses' father-in-law. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, 
and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Number four, a plurality of elders gives a congregation a sense of confidence when they need to hire the next lead pastor. Now, unless Jesus comes back first, one day I will no longer be the lead pastor of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. Now, I don't want to alarm anyone. I'm in my sixth or seventh month on the job. I don't have any plan Bs. And if you don't believe me, listen, if I haven't left yet, I really think it's going to have to be an Ethiopian eunuch situation. The Lord's going to pick me up off my feet midair off Rogers Avenue. The Spirit's going to empower me, drop me in front of a Buick and witness to a lady that's just left a conference. That's just my version of Acts chapter 8. It's going to have to be painfully clear that I'm in sin if I stay. Okay, so I just want to reassure you, I have no plans of going anywhere. But friends, a part of my job description as your lead pastor is to get you ready for ministry when I'm not here anymore. I am replaceable. I'm just dust. The Lord loves us. He cares about his church. But listen, he can replace a man or a woman in any role like that. The Lord never lacked a priest in Israel. The Lord never lacked a prophet when he wanted to raise one up. And he'll raise up an army of pastors, even if the prince of preachers dies. So friends, never make an idol out of me or another pastor. Johnny Mac ain't going to always be around on grace to you. He's getting old. He's tired. He's preached for 53 years at the same church. But he will one day go on, just like every single one of us. One of the goals of my time at CCBC, however long God wants that, is that the longer I'm here, you need me less. The longer I'm here, you need me less. Because if I'm doing my job accurately, faithfully, truly, prayerfully, this church will be a disciple-making machine. You will be equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. There will be an army of elders already shepherding the flock of God. I pray that God raises up gifted preachers that can preach lights out. That when I get back up to the pulpit, people are going, oh man, I missed the brother last week. He was so good. Well, I looked at the preaching schedule. We got another one coming. Like, I want that. Because I want you to see how God gifts brothers differently and far greater than your lead pastor. A church with a plurality of elders and wise elders at that will ordinarily be the best 
put the church in the best situation as they find their next senior pastor. They'll know what an elder is. They will know what the church culture is. They will know the condition of the sheep because they're shepherding the sheep. It's not a business model. It's not a, well, I don't really know how we're doing spiritually, but the budget looks good. Baloney. I could care less about the budget if we don't know about the spiritual life of the people. I could care less if we're still in the black, if half our church is unregenerate. So friends, you should want elders that care about the spiritual condition of the church more than you care about your own sanctification. And so when the day comes and the Lord says, Blake, taking you somewhere else, this church will be cared for because they have elders shepherding them. Now the last two points are super quick because of time and because of the depth that it would take to go this way. But I just want to quickly say this. Number two, protect your elders from unjust and unfounded criticism. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. When you sign up for leadership in almost any organization, you are going to sign up to be misunderstood at some point along the way. It's just a part of the nature of the beast. Whether you're a parent, teacher, business owner, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, or pastor, you sign up to lead, you're going to get smacked around a little bit. You're going to get criticism, complaints, and conflicts are going to come. But friends, a pastor of all people, an elder of all people, is going to have the devil's bullseye on his back. I don't want to make me sound more important than I am, because it's not really me, it's just the office I hold temporarily. If the enemy's going to get into a church, certainly he can pick apart a weak believer on the fringe. He can do that. He can deal with that all the time. But if he's going to try to take out a whole church or a whole swath, he's going to go after the shepherds. He's going to catch them when they're weak and they're vulnerable. Or he's going to trick the congregation to hiring a wolf, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he does it all the time. So friends, when I talk about criticism, what I'm talking about here is unjust criticism that's not founded on truth. So friends, here's my exhortation to you. Churches sometimes, sadly, are more like barbershops and hair salons. Churches like to talk. Church members like to chatter. And it's in every church. It's this church. It's churches all over Arkansas. It's churches all over the world. You know why? Because churches are full of sinners. The one way you can best protect your pastor is to cut that chatter in half. If that chatter is not true, if there is rumors or assumptions that are not based off of facts, be an agent for unity and peace. Say something. Hey, I don't think that's true. That's not actually what they believe. Where did you hear that? Who told you that? Where did you even think of that? Because, friends, if you don't speak up, the enemy can speak louder. So be brave. Take a shot for your elders when they're getting unjust criticism thrown their way. So friends, pray for your elders. And listen to this. Pray for your elders' wives. The slander and accusation doesn't just touch the shepherd, but it also touches the wife that's walking alongside him. Members at CCBC, pray to have courage and be a model of peace and unity. Examine the claims that people have 
and be an agent for good to speak what is true. Again, an elder can sin. An elder can sin, and they do sin. And that's why there's a prescription. He quotes Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. The same is true of an elder. An elder is not exempt from that. An elder can be reproved. He can be in sin. But he should not all of a sudden get put in the uh, shooting rounds of the enemy without any just criticism. So again, that's the point. Do not admit a charge against an elder unless there's a legitimate reason for it. Number three, and lastly, protect your church from unqualified and ungodly leaders. Look what he says in verses 20 to following. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that that are not cannot remain hidden. Here's the basic point. The members of a local church are called to generously care for faithful elders who labor in preaching and teaching. Church members are called to protect their pastor's reputation if the criticism is unjust. It's unfounded. It's just not true. That's what verse 19 says very clearly. Protect his reputation until doing so would be approving sin, basically. Is it true what has been said? But here at the end, it's the church member's responsibility to protect your church from unqualified leaders. God holds the local church responsible for who they're paying and who they're submitting under and whose teaching they are following. And that's why he gives us the exhortation. Don't show partiality. Listen, an elder nomination process is not Jesus' beauty pageant. Let me say this a different way. The elders are not to be made up of men who simply make the most money in the community. I will blow that caricature up right now. He can be a janitor. He can be a judge. Uh, He can have two different jobs. His vocation, as long as it's not unethical or sinful, doesn't really matter. How much money or prestige he has doesn't matter. It's his godliness. That's what 1 Timothy 3 is all about. It's his character. It's his relationships around him. It's his reputation. It's not the good old boy network. It's not a popularity contest. It's looking for God's men who love the Lord. But notice verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Friends, that's why we don't have a plurality of elders right now. It's not because we don't need them. It's because I'm wanting to exercise patience and discernment. And that gives us time to pray and to think and to look carefully at Scripture. That's why it's important to get to know each other. It's important to think about the sermons we've talked about it and see if God will show you these qualities in some men's lives in this congregation. And if you do see that, if you do notice it, come talk to me. you got to share it with me. That's going to help me 
in my shepherding of this church. Again, verse 24 and 25, uh, Paul basically says this, some men's sins are so obvious. I mean, it's clear as day. Do not put a man into leadership who has clear, blatant sin in his life that he shows no growth in repenting of. Any blemish on his life that has not been dealt with or worked through for some length of time needs to be heavily considered. So that's why the man is called to be above reproach. He's to have a good reputation even amongst outsiders. And so that's why we are being patient before we lay hands on anyone to install them prematurely. But friends, that also tells us, though, not only should we be careful in who we administer in because you can put the wrong leaders in, but verse 25 says, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. In other words, open your eyes to the men of God who are bearing lots of fruit in our life. See, as a pastor, I'm constantly getting conversations about who is discipling, who is shepherding, who's involved in people's lives. Who do people go to for counsel and sound doctrine? Who do people look to as a godly father, as a godly husband? I take note of that. I've been taking note of that since I was at First Baptist Church because I need a plurality of elders with me. Again, you don't have to be an elder to be godly. Listen, ladies, everything in these qualities other than the aspect of leadership over men are really, in one way or another, commending of godly women. Look at Titus chapter 2. They love sound doctrine. They love their families. They commend the gospel. Men, you may not aspire to be an elder, or you feel disqualified to become one. I would still say aspire to the godliness of the office. You don't have to hold the office to be godly. Every Christian should aspire to godliness. So, With all that said, I just emailed everyone a few hours ago an evaluation and an examination process. Again, it's a draft form. It's a guideline, but it shows you how the men will be evaluated and examined, both by the board or at me at the initial, but also uh, how the nomination process would be carried out. Again, if you haven't read it, take plenty of time. We're not nominating elders next week, so this is nothing that's going to happen overnight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word. Lord, many more things could be said. Lord, I pray that we would examine these things carefully. We would consider the last three messages. And I do pray you would make it self-evident to our church what godliness looks like. That each man and woman here, represented regardless if they have the opportunity to serve in this office or not, should aspire to godliness and holiness and love. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us these gifts Uh, soon, that our church could be better shepherded than currently I can do alone. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.